I want to launch into it by asking you a question, which is this question. Um, why are we here? Why are we here right now? Uh, not why have you got your PJs on and sitting in your house this morning, um, but why are we here as Vintage Pasadena? Uh, over the last year, despite COVID, we've seen God do amazing things. Uh, a year ago, there was just a couple of dozen of us in a community group. Now, even through the middle of COVID, we're over 200 of us, different backgrounds, different ethnicities. Some of us have lived in Southern California our whole, whole lives. Some of us have moved for an extremely long way, but many of us with this sense that God is doing something. God is building something. Some of us have uh, never really been involved in a church before this one. Others of us, maybe we've been out of the world of faith and church and those kind of things for a long time. But I guess as well, a lot of us, if we're, we're honest, we've been part of great churches through our lives. We have listened to great speakers. We have sat in beautiful church buildings. We have been a part of wonderful programs of discipleship and evangelism, those kind of things. So why, like, why this? Why now? And I want to answer that in the most bl- blunt, the most crude, the most one-dimensional way I possibly can this morning is to say this. Here in LA, like so many places in the world, we are facing a huge decline in Christian attendance at religious gatherings. Um, In LA now, over 50%, if not significantly more than that, people have no attachment to a church of any sort at all, particularly young people. You know, there is a whole shift going on within our culture. And we are here to join in. We're here to join in with God's mission in the world. We're here to allow God's love to transform us, God's spirit to fill us, God's word to be the foundation of our lives so that we can play our part in seeing people find and grow in a relationship with Christ for themselves. And I believe if God's calling you to be part of Inter Pasadena, that that is going to be part of your story as it's going to be part of mine. We spend so long, don't we, trying to work out God's call on our lives. Is God calling me to be a a prophet uh, or a preacher um, or a prayer minister or a prophetic flag-waving dancer? I think I better stop there, otherwise it's going to get weird. Um, But whatever it is that we think God is calling us to as a specific ministry, know that we also have a mission. And our mission, our commission, as it's given to us by Jesus, is to join in, to join in with what God is doing in the world. And the primary thing that God is doing in the world is helping people to encounter his love and his goodness, to help others find the life-changing reality that you have found for your life. But I don't know what you feel when you kind of hear those terms like evangelism, mission. Maybe your mind goes to people who stand on street corners like, and shout very angrily and loudly at passers-by. Uh, Maybe your mind goes to people who wear white suits and are on TV and ask for money. Um, Maybe your anxiety levels rise a bit because you think of your own awkward attempts to tell other people about Jesus in the past. Evangelism, mission, it can all seem very scary, can't it? But I believe that God is going to use this church very powerfully, as he already has, to see people come into his kingdom. And that even though we're in the middle of COVID, and COVID has caused all of us to kind of retreat inwards and go into survival mode, that even in this moment, and as we journey into the future, God has roles for each of us to play. And I want to put a bit of a marker down and say we want to be a church that is turned outwards, not just into our own lives, not, in, not even just into a place of worship, but always out out into the world, out into a place of mission. And so we're going to have our reading this morning, which Lily's going to bring, which is Colossians 
chapter four, uh, two to six. So feel free to turn into your Bibles if you have that on your phones or tablets or even paperback, and uh, we'll have that reading now. I should have given you a microphone. Hold on. <laughs> Colossians 4, 2 through 6. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us, too, that God may open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly, as I should. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Thank you. There's always a moment in every service it feels like about now when we suddenly forget one thing. So there we are. (laughs) Thanks for being family with us. And thank you, Lily, for reading that. Let's just pray. God, we thank you that we're a family, and thank you that we're a family with you and with one another. And as we think about this topic of mission evangelism, um, calm our hearts and excite our hearts for the people, the places, the situations that you might have for us uh, over the next weeks, we pray. Amen. So, uh, Paul has lots to say in the world of evangelism and mission. And I want to start uh, this morning by looking at three things that Paul has to say to us. The first one is this. Paul says this, talk to Jesus about your friends. Talk to Jesus about your friends. He says this in verse two, devote yourself to prayer, being watchful, being thankful, and pray for us too that God may open a door for our message. Like, I wonder who it is that you would love to see come into the kingdom of God. Just where you are, if you're sitting with someone else, maybe you could just name one person's name. Uh, if you're sitting on your own, say it to the wall or the cat. But, but who is it that you are praying for? Who's the friend, the colleague, the family member that you would love to see know Jesus? I wonder how long you've been working on them, praying for them. Well, Paul says before we can ever talk to our friends about Jesus, we actually need to talk to Jesus about our friend. Paul was probably one of the greatest evangelists that the world's ever seen. He planted churches all over uh, that part of the world. He stood in front of angry crowds, in front of judges. He led jailers to faith. He had one of the best theological minds that the world has literally ever seen. And yet, Paul realized that without God's involvement through prayer, when we talk about evangelism, when we're talking about telling people about Jesus, we have almost exactly nothing if we don't have God. When we think about evangelism, we can think like this, can't we? If only. If only I was braver, if only I was louder, if only I had more friends, if only I was more of an extrovert, if only I was the life and the soul of the party, then I would easily be able to tell all my friends about Jesus, just like that person that we know. But actually, Paul says that faith is a gift. It's a spiritual story and it's a spiritual reality. Jesus himself says in John 6, 65, no one can come to me unless it's granted him by the Father. That the battle we live, the battle is not about somebody just becoming, making a theological decision because they've weighed the evidence and they want to believe that Jesus was a reality in the world. But it's actually a spiritual dimension between the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light. And you know what? I don't have the ability to take someone from the 
the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. I don't have the ability to change someone's destiny from death to life, but I know somebody who does, and that is God who is the creator of the universe. When we pray, what we're doing is we're realizing that we don't have the ability to change a person's destiny, but God has the ability to change a person's destiny. And so so Paul says when we pray, we need to pray firstly with thankfulness because we pray knowing that as soon as we start to pray, God starts to work, that God is working in the situation, that God is working when we've prayed in the past, God is working now in the situation and God will pray into the future as well. We need to be thankful. We also need to be watchful. It's not enough just to go, okay, God, you know, that John over there, he needs to know you. Can you just like sort that out and I'll, I'll see you later. Paul says, no, we pray really specifically into moments, into situation, into needs, because that is the relationship that God gives us. And then finally, Paul says, we've got to pray with devotion. We've got to pray with devotion. I, I really wish sometimes that prayer was like online shopping. You know, it's like, hey, God, I just need that to happen. Go in my basket, ching, done, it's all over. Prayer is about a relationship with God. And if we're honest, it can take a long time this form of prayer, can't it? When I started college, a really wise Christian leader said to me, hey Ben, when you get to university, you should really try and have a good balance of Christian friends and non-Christian friends. But two years into college, I was so in love with the church that I was part of. I so loved the Christian groups of friends I was with. I realized I didn't even really know any non-Christians whatsoever in the whole of my college. And so for the last two years of college, I tried really hard to build relationships with non-Christians, genuine, honest friendships. And some of my great friends were those people that I met. And I would commit to pray for them, commit to kind of encourage them. After university finished, Laura and I got married. Some of them came to our wedding. But you know, kind of life happens, doesn't it? And people go their own ways. And we all literally disappeared to the four corners of the world. And in those moments, social media is a dream, isn't it? Because social media just gives you the snapshots, the pictures, the highlight reels of other people's lives. And so through social media, I was able to kind of keep a track of some of the guys. And one of the girls particularly was the real life and soul of the party. She was like always out there. She's clubbing, always doing kind of super crazy things. Once university finished, she like headed off to Australia and then she then went off to Mexico and back to England. She was doing all sorts of crazy stuff. And she definitely wasn't a Christian when she left university, but she messaged me this Christmas just before we launched Vintage Pasadena. And she said, hey Ben, I just spotted on social media that you're planning a church in Pasadena. That's amazing. And I was like, mm-hmm. Okay, so that, that's totally amazing. It's like, um, you probably don't know this, but after university finished, I went to Australia and someone took me along to a church called Hillsong. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. It's a kind of big church. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, and when I was at Hillsong, um, someone told me about Jesus and I gave my life to Jesus and it's transformed my life. I met my husband at that church and then we moved to Mexico and now we're part of the wider leadership team of a church in Mexico. In fact, she sent me a message over the weekend showing me her prayer walking around her town in Mexico in the middle of COVID-19. And I was able to say to her, wow, that is amazing. And do you know why? You know, uh, you know what's so amazing is that during college, um, I committed to pray for you and a little group of people. And uh, we were able to share a, a beautiful moment. Now, I, I'm not saying my prayers solely led to her going to Hillsong and becoming a Christian at all. I know that many people were praying for her. But prayer changes lives, even though sometimes it can take a little while. And so I want to ask you again this question. Like, who are you praying for? Who are you praying for? Who's in your prayer journal? 
Who are you crying out to God for at the moment? Paul says, talk to Jesus about your friends. But then Paul says this, after you've talked to Jesus about your friends, you need to talk to your friends about Jesus. While prayer is important, there is actually a role for us to be involved in the process of seeing people come to faith in a very physical and a practical way. In fact, Paul's main prayer that he says is that God would open doors so that he, Paul, could proclaim the mystery of Christ. He prays that doors would be open. Now, for someone in jail to pray that doors would be open is a very significant analogy. But what Paul's effectively saying is that without those doors to be open, we are stuck behind bars and people are stuck behind bars because being in bondage, being bondage to sin and death actually is like being stuck in jail. So Paul prays that the gospel would free people through his words. And Paul says this is actually what we should do. It's what we ought to do. And it's not like he's not saying it's because it's like, oh man, if I don't hit my quota of talking to enough people at the, uh, uh, like Trader Joe's this week, then God's going to be cross with me. But it's actually recognizing that in Jesus, we have everything that we need for life. That in Jesus, we have treasure. We have the most valuable treasure on earth. As we talked about a few weeks ago, it is in Christ, in us, which is the very hope of glory. There is no way of doing human life without God that makes full sense. We need Jesus. And though therefore, it would be crazy for us not to share the good news that we've found. Uh, 2020, it's going to go down probably as one of the weirdest years on record, I, I imagine. Like here in California, COVID started as being something that was way over somewhere else. And then it came into our world with a massive like sudden rush in March. Cases went crazy. The whole world seemed to lock down. Then the cases started to go down in California. And we all thought, okay, right. I think we're there, it's time to get out, go to the beach and stuff again. And now over the last weeks, the cases have gone crazy again and we're trying to figure out like, what to do. And we, we're realizing, I guess, ultimately, if we're really honest, that until we have a cure, until we have a vaccine for COVID-19, then the world's never gonna actually be as it once was. But can you imagine this? Can you imagine there was a group of people on earth who had the cure for COVID-19? They had like the vaccine. Now, because they didn't want to be rude, they didn't tell the whole world about the cure. They just kind of kept it to themselves in their little social club. And occasionally, like somebody would find out, oh, they seem to have the cure for COVID-19. We better go and check them out. We better go and find out what the cure is. And so they'd go and see these people and they'd say, hey, look, you've got the cure for COVID-19. Can I get the cure for COVID-19? And they'd go, uh, okay, yeah, you come into our little private club and you can learn to be like us. And once you've learned to be like us, you can get the cure for COVID-19. Instead, though, it would, be, like, it would be nuts if that was a reality in the world. But isn't that so often how we operate as church? We have the keys to life, the universe and everything, but yet, because maybe we feel embarrassed, maybe because the enemy tells us, oh, just, just like shut up, just sit down, nobody wants to know about that anymore, we don't tell anyone. We don't share our faith. We assume that it really is only for us. I feel like people are hungry. 
People are hungry for answers. People are looking for the way to do life. People that you know, your friends, your family, they've been asking questions. They've been trying to figure out how do you do life if you can't guarantee in, like a really good job, if you can't guarantee your health, if you can't guarantee that you can go on great vacations in the summer anymore, if you can't eat at your favorite restaurant, if you can't see people, like how do we do life? Your friends have been asking that question, I guarantee you, and guess what? You have the answer. You have the answer. This is a little bit of an old stat. In 2013, Gallup did a massive study over the whole of the US. They asked like, people who do not regularly go to church, if a friend of yours invited you to church, how many of you would come? 82% of Americans said that they would come to church if they were invited to come by a friend. Now, we live in LA, maybe it's a little bit lower than that, I, d- I don't know. But I do know that your friends are open to being told about Jesus and church. At Easter, I asked you to think about who you would invite to tune into our Easter services. And uh, one of our wonderful community group leaders, or two of them who lead the community group together, they walked up and down their street and they invited people to tune in on Easter Sunday morning. A few weeks after Easter, they had a, like a socially distanced happy hour thing at their, in their garden. And a whole bunch of their neighbors came and they overheard a conversation at that gathering of the neighbors talking to each other about how they tuned in to our Easter Sunday service and how it had been so impactful in their lives. Isn't that amazing? Now, I really believe that God is putting people in our path I really believe that you are the very person that God needs to act as a witness to the good news of Jesus in a way that nobody else can. That there are people in your workplace, that there are people in your street, that there are people even who live in your house with you who need to hear Jesus. And you're the very person that God's put there in order to help know who he is. And so if you wanna ask, if you wanna see God answer a prayer, I wanna dare you this week to pray this prayer. God, Would you give me an opportunity to speak of who you are? I tried it out this week, and within 24 hours, I found myself in a car dealership, because that's what I do in my spare time, telling uh, two lovely Korean car salesmen about what I do as a pastor and why it's changed my life. God answers no prayer faster and more consistently than please give me an opportunity to speak of you. So we need to talk to our friends about Jesus. And then finally, Paul says this, we have to live a life that points to Jesus. We have to live a life that points to Jesus. Paul says, be wise in the way that you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know the hope, how to answer everyone. Over the last 50 or 100 years, We've been through these monumental changes in our society. We've had all these different generations. And I don't know if like generations have always had a crazy name before, but in the last 50 years, generations have all got these weird names. So we have boomers, and then we had X's, and Y's, and millennials, and Z's, or Z's, and I'll probably always get that one wrong. Um, I don't know which one of those you are. 
But over the last 50 years, we've seen this huge shift on lots of issues. And part of it's to do with technology and to do with other forces. But I know that in my grandparents' generation, they probably weren't even like boomers. They were probably prehistoric. But um, if you'd have said to them, hey, like, should you obey authority? If you heard a policeman or if you heard a, a school teacher or a pastor or somebody like that tell you to do something, would you do it? And I know that they would immediately go, absolutely, because that's authority and that's who you should obey in society. But one of the things that's been sort of known to be a trait in the millennial and the Z space particularly is like there is this questioning, questioning of whether something's true or real anymore. And some of that's really good because if we didn't have that questioning, every time some, that crazy friend of yours put that weird thing on social media, we'd believe it. And now we don't. We have to question and work out, is that a real truth or is it real for that person or is it true for everybody? So the whole form of like authority has changed and no longer will people go, oh, that must be true because that authority person told me it's true. Instead, people want to know, is that thing real in life? The word authenticity is a word that gets used a lot, isn't it, at the moment? And that is such a good word because what people are looking for in your life and my life is actually authenticity. People are looking at the church from around the world and they're asking this question, does the church really have the answers? And it's not enough for somebody like a pastor to stand up front and say Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life unless it's backed up by a reality that we live. And so Paul says we need to be really wise in the way that we live. I love what Kathleen said last week about having humility, about having a sense of repentance, about always constantly going back and being united with one another. You know, the church is in the press all the time at the moment should churches reopen? Should they not? Should they sing? Should they definitely not sing? Should they wear masks? And I think the world is looking at the church and going, do you guys really know how to love? Do you have a message of how to do this life thing really well? And so Paul says we need to speak and act in a real way of integrity. He says that we actually have to be people of grace. We need to have a way of loving that is different and better than the way of loving that the world has. When politics are going crazy, when we're fighting with each other because we don't know what to do and we're stressed out and we're anxious, the church needs to be a church that acts in an other, other way of love, in an other way of grace, in an other way of being kindness. But Paul also says that we have to be salty as well. And that's a really weird term, I know. But what he means is it's not enough just to be super nice. Like you, you know those kind of Christians who are just super nice but don't have a lot of personality. Like they have no arm muscles. Like, oh, we, we love you and it's all very nice. Like that's not enough. Salty means actually they've got to have some personality. You've got to have some humor in your life. We've got to have a bit about us because we're not just demonstrating how to be nice to each other. We're demonstrating how to be fully alive. We've got to have some humor. Jesus says this, you, church, you are the light of the world. Like what? I thought Jesus was the light of the world. Jesus says, you, church, are the light of the world. A town built on a hill can't be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see what? When they see how eloquent you are, how well-dressed you are, how regularly you are church Sunday morning services. No, they may see what? Your good deeds and then they'll glorify your father in heaven. Our world wants to see something better. People are stressed. You may have noticed. 
People are anxious. Some people are angry. They're lost. And they're looking for the answers. Christ in you, in me, in us, is the hope of glory. And God has positioned us to be part of his story of helping others know him. Now, I know that might feel overwhelming. I know you might feel guilty immediately about the opportunities that you've missed along the way. And don't worry, I've missed as many as you have. But I want to pray as we finish. I want to pray that the Holy Spirit would come and fill us with his love. I want to pray that the Holy Spirit would course through our veins. I want to pray that the Holy Spirit would give us opportunities this week to begin that process of modeling, of showing, of, of uh, speaking, of love that changes everything. So as Sammy and the guys come back up to play, would you pray with me?